This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Podcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. Well, the NHL playoffs have reached the third round with only four teams left, AJ, and among them, Tampa, Washington, Winnipeg and Vegas, there's only been one Stanley Cup celebration in some in those four cities. So it's some new blood and some great storylines. I'm pretty happy to see all these new clubs getting to this late stage of the postseason for sure because of all those compelling uh, storylines that are behind all these teams. And we'll get into each of them later. However, I don't think uh, you, as my partner, (laughs) feel the same way after watching your Penguins bow out to their arch rivals. We'll review all four round two matchups for sure before previewing the conference finals. But I'm concerned, man. You've gone all the way to the big (laughs) dance, got the trophy, and this year it's not going to happen. Are you okay, partner? Well, you know, I'll just keep watching game film from the last two game sixes uh, and watch those clinchers for us. So I'll, I'll get over it pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, it is, uh, as you mentioned, only one uh, cup winner between or, uh, one title between the four teams uh, left. Obviously, Vegas wouldn't have had one, but uh, definitely interesting. I mean, Tampa Bay, Washington have been good teams for a long time. Uh, Winnipeg is on the rise. So, you know, uh, not surprising they haven't won one. But, yeah, for the other two, for Tampa and Washington, having just one combined uh, is a bit of a surprise there. Um, but before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners throughout the week, uh, if you have questions about your lineups, uh, for example, if you're playing some of those single game slates on over on FanDuel, we're happy to answer any questions. Uh, you know, trying to decide who you might use as, as your captain in those single game options. We're happy to answer those. If you're looking at season long and you're thinking about keepers, guys to keep, let go, we'll answer those as well. Or if you just have general hockey questions, you know, about a matchup or about something you're seeing on the ice uh, and what our take is on it, we're happy to answer those. You can tweet at us. Uh, as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJSholes24. You can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22. All right, so as promised, we're going to go through each of the four series that did happen and uh, give our overview of of why we thought it happened the way it turned out. Let's get the pain out of the way for you right away, though. Let's start (laughs) off with the Pittsburgh-Washington series. That regular season was a draw. We both thought this was going to be a long series, but Pittsburgh would win. But boy, oh boy, the Caps uh, turned the tables and... uh, I don't think you liked the celebration of the Game 6 winner in overtime. I didn't like it either with with uh, the way the guy went on with the bird flapping thing. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But what your overall impressions of this series, AJ, why did Washington wind up winning this? Well, I'll start first about that celebration. I actually didn't see it. Uh, I had never been happier to have to work uh, over at the brewery <laughs> on a Monday night. I didn't feel good about it going in. Uh, I told a couple of people that, that I was glad I was working. so I wouldn't have to watch it. Um, and as it turned out, I was right. Um, so I had some distraction for me, uh, going for me in that one. So I think that helped ease the pain a little bit. Uh, as far as why I feel the Capitals won, uh, is, uh, a little bit of surprise production out of guys, uh, that we didn't really expect, you know, going in, uh, you know, Chandler Stephenson being one, uh, 
you know, he, he chipped in a, a goal early, uh, had, you know, in the last game, uh, the game six, Stephenson had 20 over 20 and a half minutes of ice time, which is astronomical for him. He's usually a little bit lower into the like mid to high fifteens. Uh, they're obviously able to, uh, you know, compete with, without, uh, Tom Wilson in the lineup, uh, had some other guys step up as well. So, you know, one of the concerns we had going in with Washington was the lack of of depth options. Uh, Alex chase was the guy who scored, uh, in, in game six there didn't have any other points in the playoffs, but got a goal in that game six. And that's yeah. really what I think it takes. A lot of times is kind of those depth guys stepping up and that's what they had. And obviously brain Holpe, uh, I think the coaching staff there made a great decision in sitting him. Those, uh, those first two games, because it's obviously motivated him to be better. Uh, hasn't allowed more than three goals in any one game, uh, since then and is just playing lights out hockey right now so for me those are kind of the two deciding factors based on what i saw yeah and i think you got to throw in the fact that they had some trials and tribulations that they overcame nicholas backstrom wasn't at full strength aj in that series actually missed uh, missed a contest too but uh, kuznetsov and ovechkin certainly did carry the flag john carlson who's going to be an unrestricted free agent i'm going to be curious to see what happens to him this offseason aj because while he was a top point getter on the year and he's had a great playoff his plus minus has been pretty flat all season long it was zero during the regular season plus four during these playoffs so i'm kind of curious to see what kind of a profile he carries into free agency this season but uh, uh a guy that we talked about a little bit more than than i thought we would need to in the first in second half was lars eller and he produced some scoring totals that were surprising for me as far as the third line center seven points in 12 games that's some great secondary scoring you touched on the fact they got some points from chandler stevens stevenson Jakob Vrana stepped up into a bigger minutes sometimes but overall he averaged only 10 minutes in these playoffs and yet contributed five points the guy that's a shutdown defenseman uh, very familiar to you uh, is Matt Niskanen and I think he should get some accolades too for the way he performed he reminded me of uh, about about your whole defensive core in Pittsburgh last year that nondescript kind of guy that plugged along and just held the fort and that's the way Niskanen performed during during these playoffs and he came back to bite uh, the Penguins with a pretty solid performance back there eating up almost 27 minutes of playing time so you got to give it up for the Caps that uh, everybody was pulling on the rope and uh, that's what you need and and you mentioned the goaltending too even both of these guys were pressed into service Grubauer kind of giving spelling Holby to get his game together and so so it was all hands on deck, and uh, Washington, I think, was full value in the end for overcoming the Pittsburgh curse. So kudos to them in that regard to get to this stage. Uh, the Boston-Tampa series wasn't as close as, as we thought it would be. And in, in fact, you had Boston winning the series. I had Tampa winning the series in seven. It was quicker than that, done in five games. And uh, the antics of Brad Marchand, I think, proved to be a bit of a big distraction here uh, for Boston. And, and I think that may have played a bit of a role, AJ. But more than that, it was the Tampa speed and their goaltending uh, Vasilevsky, who faltered during the second half of the season uh, much of the way, and uh, they squandered a lot of their lead in the, in, the, in the division as a result. But he outplayed Rask in this series, and that was a big factor for me in the outcome. I'm curious to see how you break this one down. Absolutely. I mean, Vasilevsky is a, is a key to the, to the entire uh, series here. Uh, you know, I, I think we saw a little bit of um, the top heaviness of this team, you know, they have always relied on Marchant, Bergeron and whoever else plays with them right now. It's David Pasternak. He's having a phenomenal uh, season, but that has changed over the years who that third guy is. Um, and I just think you look a little bit further down their lineup. Uh, you know, you've got some tough guys uh, in that fourth line, Schaller, Corrali, um, but they're not really, you know, goal scorers necessarily. I think they underutilized a guy like Danton Heinen, who could have been a bit of an X factor. Uh, Tommy Wingles as well uh, can add something to the, the team. I think Ryan Donato uh, is still a little young. Um, I think David Backus has started to, you know, show uh, a little bit of a, a slump uh, per se based on previous seasons. I mean, this was a guy that had a 62 point season, a couple in the 50s. Now he's slowly dropping down to the 30s. Um, so he's not producing at the same level that you're kind of used to there. Um, and Tuka Rask, you know, honestly, 
just wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, you look at those last four games, uh, all losses. He had a 3.01 goals against average over that stretch, a 0.896 save percentage. Uh, and so, you know, obviously that he got out, not only did he get out by a goaltender playing really well, he didn't play as good as he could have. Uh, and so that's kind of what I see uh, from the Boston side of it. You highlighted everything that Tampa did right. They utilized their speed uh, and they have a really good depth organization yeah. as well. I mean, Ryan Callahan is easily a third line winger on most teams. There's probably a couple teams in this league. He could be playing on the second line and they've got him down on the fourth paired up with Chris Kunitz, who, you know, this is a guy that knows how to win. He's a four time Stanley cup champion. And while his stats don't necessarily show up uh, on the score sheet, he doesn't have any points through their 10 games. Uh, his minutes are down a little bit, only 947. but this is a great locker room guy uh, that can help provide some leadership. You know, overall Tampa, some of these guys have been around for a, what seems like a very long time, but they're still a relatively young team. You know, Kucherov is only 24. Uh, you got JT Miller is 25. Yes, they have Stamkos, another, you know, another veteran, but this is generally still a very young team. So having a guy like Kunitz uh, and Stamkos, who have both been through it before, both had success, I think really helps kind of sh- bring this team together. And you mentioned the speed. <laughs> I think that's kind of helped with I still see some defensive struggles with this this team overall. I think their D core is not as strong as you would want it to be at this point in the season, but they're getting there. You know, they added a bunch of pieces at the trade deadline here. And so they're kind of getting there, kind of starting to put it together. And it's just the right time for them. Yeah. And then I look at the Boston Bruins in this series, AJ, and I'm I'm going to say they had a tough series in the first round that might have impacted them here and certainly they weren't helped when Tory Krug went down with that awkward looking leg injury when he went and did the splits heading into the corner that was kind of the death knell for them when that when that happened in my eyes because he was the linchpin in terms of the offense on the on defense but they have to be heartened by the fact that they have him they have Charlie McAvoy who took a big step forward this year and Brandon Carlo is a guy who was a forgotten man he didn't play in these playoffs because of his own injury issues so they have a trio of young guys that they're going to build the defense around going forward and they'll be mentored again by Zdeno Chara you got to give him a lot of credit he he logged a lot more minutes than I thought he was going to get AJ in these playoffs and he did it with the usual form that we have expected from him over his long and distinguished I'm going to say it now Hall of Fame career uh uh, the big man did perform valiantly and uh, carried the flag for the Bruins along with that first line. But their undoing was the fact that you mentioned a couple of their veterans, David Backus and uh, Rick Nash. They really didn't deliver the goods in these playoffs. So Boston became a one-line team. And, boy, one-line teams are not long for this world, no matter whether it's the regular season or the playoffs. And that, I think, also had a big hand to play in the undoing of the Boston Bruins. You highlighted the fact that we thought that the Tampa Lightning are one of those teams that can roll four lines, and they did it uh, in these playoffs again. Braden Point's a guy that's really emerged. He's, for me, in the conversation for the Conn Smythe uh, this year, uh, for anybody not named Marc-Andre Fleury, at least so far. <laughs> Point has been a, a superb scorer uh, in these playoffs and a key guy in face-offs, and playing that 200-foot game behind uh, Steven Stamkos gives him a tremendous one-two punch at center for his part Stamkos broke out of a long slump that uh, started in the late regular season and finally got a couple of goals going that's bad news for the opposition because this guy's now feeling good about himself where he wasn't earlier on in these playoffs and uh, you can't lose sight of what JT Miller has meant to this team as well since he was acquired by trade he's really fit in like a glove on that first line giving them the guy instead of rotating a number of options Miller has fit in with Stamkos and Kucherov to make that one of the most dangerous lines in hockey and uh, so that one-two punch is there they also got serviceable performances from guys like Sorelli, Kalorn, and Gourd in that third line role so a credible third scoring line and uh, you can't understate what the what uh, the performances of Dan Girardi and Antron Strahlman too very good defensive defenseman has meant to this team of course we all know about what Victor Hedman has done and Mikhail Sergachev despite the fact he's got reduced minutes is always a, a guy that you notice on the ice is kind of a Hedman light I'll call him uh, to, to factor in in terms of the stability that he brings when he, with the minutes that he plays for such a young man they've got uh, they've got a great future ahead of him uh, in that uh, position too Vasilevsky we talked about out dueling Rask 
that was maybe the big check mark in the Boston fa- Boston favor in preseason pre-series rather that uh, was really overturned and and really accounted for the short the brevity of this series and Tampa on a roll in five games over Boston. Over to the West we go, and uh, San Jose and Vegas, this is one that we both got right. Uh, In fact, I nailed it, Vegas in six, you had Vegas in five. We thought that they would dispatch San Jose quickly. I'm not surprised by the outcome. Uh, Vegas just seemed to have, again, a four-line offense. The defense was in order. The goaltending had been superb. Each of the check marks falling in their favor, and that's kind of why I think this series was as easy as it turned out to be. I won't say thoroughly easy but uh, <laughs> relatively easy i'll say sure yeah and i mean i'll start with san jose uh two biggest problems i saw here you know martin jones uh just wasn't good enough to be perfectly blunt about it you know you look at their first round series he gave up only four goals uh in those four games against anaheim he gave up four goals or more in a game three separate times in this series um and that's simply not good enough now he had the 34 save shutout in game four um but one good outing over a seven game series just isn't gonna do it and then the other player who honestly was you know absent was evander kane now, he did miss that one game uh, due to injury. Sounds like it was a shoulder, a separated shoulder and an MCL that he's uh, kind of dealing with right now. But, you know, he had one goal uh, and no assists in, in the five games he did play in this series. Uh, again, that's simply not uh, not good enough for a guy that was brought in to help get you over the edge. He's going to be a free agent now heading into the offseason. Um, I do think they have a good chance of re-signing him, especially if they can save a little bit of money on uh, bringing Jumbo Joe back for another year. Uh, he's said he's willing to take a cut to pick up some free agents. I really think they should give a run at Evander Kane uh, in the offseason here. But uh, separate issue, separate topic. But, I, you know, I, he was just simply absent from this series. And, and that's really uh, the two kind of main points here for this team uh, that I just think wasn't good enough. And the flip side is, uh, Mark Andre Fleury continues to be just absolutely lights out in the postseason right now. Uh, he's, you know, got an, another shutout, uh, two more shutouts in this series. Uh, his goals against average was 2.14.935 save percentage. You look at the entire postseason right now, he leads all uh, starting netminders with a 0.951 save percentage and just simply outdueling every other competition that he's had. Uh, and so I really think he's the key here. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, some offensive contributors, you know, March Assault, Smith, Carlson, Alex Tuke has been a great addition. James Neal is doing decent things, uh, you know, so it's really spread out throughout their depth chart. Uh, it's not just a one line team here. You know, they they get production out of Tuke on that third line, uh, Neal and Perron on the second. And obviously that first line has honestly been one of the best all season long. Uh, and so really that is the driving force here. Flurry's not giving up goals. He's got an unheralded defense that relatively limits shots for him. And then an offense is clicking on all cylinders. It's a very hard team to stop. Yeah. And uh, we'll break that down a little bit, but I want to spend some time talking about San Jose. You mentioned Thornton not being able to play Pavelski. He had been pretty magical uh, substituting for him on the first line, but he took a hit in this series uh, and uh, his offense was limited. But the guy that I want to highlight is Brent Burns. This guy averaged almost 28 minutes a game in this series he did produce five points in the six games but he recorded a minus in four of the six games and that was a telling stat at the end of the day when your number one player uh, i'll say on this team was a minus player in four of the games that was that was really uh, indicative of the way this their fate was sealed uh, just because you need your horses to to be better than the other guys and that wasn't the case here for San Jose. We forecast that that might be the issue. And in fact, maybe uh, they got tired uh, with the way they had to work uh, these guys to lead this team because after the top few few guys on this roster, there's a big drop-off in talent and dependability here. So I think just ran, running out of gas against a better foe that could roll, run those four lines, I think it was the undoing for San Jose in this set. And so we'll close out our analysis of this round by talking about the series that ended last night. Uh, to me, it, this looked like a coin flip at the beginning, and it turned out to be that way going into the seventh game. Curious, I want to begin with you in terms of the pulling of the goalie last night so early in that game. Uh, I don't know if you caught it all. 
AJ, but uh, after two goals and after 10 minutes, Pecorini was on the bench. Well, so, uh, you know, it, it was early. Obviously, Rene is one of the best goaltenders in the league, and it, it was maybe a little bit early. But at the same time, neither goal was really like uh, they were both bad angle shots that yeah. just, you know, that first one, uh, I, I was watching it, and the announcers uh, on the game were like, how did that go in? And that's a good question. How did that one go in? Yeah. Um, it, you know, kind of squeaked through the tiniest of holes p- between like his skate plate or just under the pad. Um, it's still not totally clear, uh, to be honest with you. And then the other one, you know, he's up against the post, loses sight of the puck, kind of dips his shoulder uh, when he does see it to try and corral it. And then it goes top shelf. So in both cases, I mean, kind of beaten by bad angle shots that that maybe shouldn't have gone in, to be perfectly honest. So I can see where the coaching staff is thinking there. I know they're very high on UC Saros. Um, you know, he gave up to himself. Uh, so from that standpoint, they're kind of even. Uh, and And that's really, for me, the pulling of the goalie, you know, it's a hard call because Rene was looking a little sloppy there at the start. And so maybe you need to change the directions. Maybe it's a wake up call to the rest of the team. Uh, I don't disagree with this decision. I'm not sure I would have made it. Uh, I'm what might have gone in the intermission before making that decision but but that was kind of my take on it i I don't know what your thoughts were uh, on that paul you know it reminded me years ago of the leafs in in a series against ottawa game seven and uh, patrick laleem who when you mention that name to anybody who has a hockey vintage in terms of the number of years they followed the sport they recognize that you bring that up to talk about the fact that uh, joe newendike scored two softies against him that really tilted the tables in Toronto's favor in that decider and it was this it was like a carbon copy of that game and uh, the horse had left the barn by the time it was two nothing so it was a move that I think the Nashville coaching staff was compelled to do because they just couldn't simply afford to go down another one if if their top guy in net was having that rough night and people will say, yeah, but they only scored one goal. Well, I, I think the momentum was clearly established by the time that, that second goal was in there. And so you can't say that, oh, maybe they were going to score. You can also say maybe they were going to score five or six goals themselves if they had uh, the ship righted in their own end. So really the gun was to the head of the coaching staff here. And, and I think it was a good move to kind of stem the flow of the game and uh, give their home their home team a chance to get back in there but they took the the visitors took the crowd out of the game you know you often hear if the visitors can survive the first 10 minutes uh, they have a shot well they gave themselves a real shot by getting those two goals and I think it really became an uphill battle for Nashville because then Winnipeg can play their grinding physical style of the four teams left in the playoffs that's the big advantage I think that they had in this game and we talk about the way uh, this series went back and forth there were so many changes in momentum over the seven games but in the end I think it was Winnipeg's grinding style that kind of wore down the quartet of defensemen for Nashville and uh, certainly played a deciding role in game seven in my opinion yeah absolutely I I think uh, so we have a a couple Predators fans here in the office Um, the Milwaukee team here is the uh, AHL affiliate for Nashville so some people cheer for the Predators uh, because of that Uh, and so he asked me, what do you, what's going to happen? You know, what are Nashville's chances in this game? And I told him it's really all up to Pekka Rene. And I said, if they can keep it to three goals or less, they have a chance, uh, any more than that. And this team's simply not going to be able to catch them. You know, they, Nashville has great depth. They're one of the deepest organizations through all four lines, uh, especially on the blue line, but their forwards are very deep. But the problem is they don't really have an all-star. Philip Forsberg is a great player, had a phenomenal season, 64 points. Victor Arvison had 61. But you look at the Jets, they have uh, four, uh, two guys rather that are above that in Blake Wheeler, who had 91. Patrick Laine had 70. And then two more guys who were right there in Nikolai Ehlers with 60 and Mark Shifley with 60. And so they have just more uh, you know, top end scoring talent. And if this got into a shootout position, they simply weren't going to be able to keep up. And the fact that Rennie got pulled uh, halfway through the first period, I, you know, like I said, UC Saros is very good. I think he'll make a great number one at some point down the road here. But uh, if your number, if your starting goalie gets pulled in the first period, the game was over from my standpoint at that point, it was already done. 
Um, like you said, the fans were out of it. It was a little deflated. They looked like they were going to come back. They got that power play goal to make it 2-1. Uh, but then uh, Winnipeg did what they've done all season and simply outscored the opponents. And Hellebuck made some phenomenal saves. Uh, he has really turned a corner this season and become uh, you know, one of the best net miners in the league, whether that carries forward to another season or he ends up being like Cam Talbot in Edmonton and having a down year, we'll see. Um, but for this season, uh, he's just been one of the best. And one of the guys who I circle his performance to kind of tell, uh, it was a telltale situation when Kyle Touris, you look at what he produced in this series, AJ, looking at the game log, he was completely blanked over the last five games in this set and only produced two assists in the first two games, kind of offsetting the fact that the number one center, Ryan Johansson, really looked like a number one center. He almost averaged two points a game uh, or one and a half points a game in this series. I think he got nine or ten points in the seven, seven games, so he looked really, really good. But for all his exploits, it was a one-line team again. At the end of the day, they, their scoring wasn't spread out enough, and they didn't get enough from that second unit. And it was indic- indicated by Kyle Torres' uh, game log. So uh, you've got to give Winnipeg Jets all the credit in the world for coming in on the road into a, into a noisy building, taking them out of the, the game really early and really setting the tone. And then that physical grinding style that I've seen so often this year, I got to see a lot of their hockey all season long. They, they just played it to a T in, in this game and, and grinded out the win and really wore down the best defense in hockey. And that is a real telltale sign going forward, AJ. The fact that they were able to offset a team that I think was my pick to win the Stanley Cup before the season started is now on the sidelines. So uh, I'm all in on the Jets. I'll say that going forward, tipping (laughs) tipping my hand. And it's not the Canadian thing, AJ. It's the fact that I think they're of the best... Uh, they're the best of the four remaining teams in my opinion but curious to see how you break down everything going forward before we talk about all that though i want to give a nod to our friends at fanduel as we do every every show that we've done all season long we've had a lot of fun playing the hockey and now i'm having a little bit of fun playing the baseball thing too and i know you're dabbling in it too with the rotowire staff deal uh there's over two and a half million players that have won a cash prize on fanduel and uh, all these uh, the contests there's a special offer for new users to sign up today at fanduel.com slash rw these contests are void where prohibited uh, aj we tell that story every week but you, I, I want you to highlight where we can look for having to have some fun with the remaining nhl schedule there is an option to play a game based even on the one or two games that might be on in, in each of the nights going forward isn't there yeah, the FanDuel single game slate uh, is really a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's it, the nice part about it is, you know, you don't have to pick a goalie, uh, which I, I really find uh, difficult this time of year, you know, to pinpoint a single goalie. Now, they if you're not into the, you know, the single game slate, they'll pair up the two games on like a multi-game slate option. Uh, I know looking at it right now, they'll have a slate for tonight and tomorrow's game to kind of give you that two two game slate. But I, I've been enjoying the single game. Had a nice uh, cash the other day, turned my one dollar into five. Uh, you know, not the best, obviously, but every little bit counts. Right. So yeah. uh, what I really like about it is, you know, you do have to pick that that captain, that one and a half times uh, point producer, then a couple forwards and a couple D. And so I, I've really been enjoying it. I think it, you know, I've always preferred uh, smaller slates, you know, three, four game slates as opposed to the big 14, you know, ones. And so uh, for me, it's really what I pinpoint. Uh, and I try and find, you know, some value, you know, the prices are a little bit higher than what you're used to in the single game slate, but I still try and find some value and, and pick guys, uh, that I think will produce and have low ownership. Uh, that's really kind of what I target, uh, you know, guys that aren't necessarily on the radar, but are keyed up for a big night. AJ, uh, before we get back into, uh, talking about the next round, there is some news locally in Toronto that just broke as we went to air this morning. Kyle Dubas became the next the new general manager of the maple leafs it was announced this morning 31 year old wonderkind he cut his teeth in the ohl and uh, is one of these guys that uh, the new wave of analytics he's right at the leading edge of this thing and i'm kind of surprised that they went this route with the fact that they have mark hunter one of the best scouts in the history of hockey in the fold too i'm now wondering if he might be upset by this decision and may bolt I'm wondering, and also wondering, as a result of this decision, what do you think? How do you observe this call? Well, I think this is uh, 
indicative of sticking to the Shanna plan as it as it's been called sometimes I think Brendan Shanahan knows what he wants to do I'm, I'm honestly surprised it, it necessarily took this long uh, considering uh, Dubas is in the organization um, obviously Lou Lamorello has done a ph- phenomenal job but Shanahan had his plan in place that's why he gave uh, you know Lou the the contract that he did and uh, you know what he's doing for this organization. Uh, and so I, I, I really, I don't know a ton about, about Dubas. Um, but I, I think this is all, uh, it has Brendan Shanahan written all over it. Uh, at this point, if I'm a Maple Leafs fan, I'm not really doubting, uh, him at this, you know, at this time, the team is trending upwards, doing well, I think perhaps even outperforming, uh, how quickly this turnaround may have been expected. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's hard to, hard to question him at this point. And further to that, the, he has kind of taken the reins of the top, uh, American hockey league team. The Marlies have had a phenomenal season and, uh, his record, uh, since taking over there has been nothing short of sensational uh, they've been a top team in that loop each of the three years that he's been at the helm so all of that factors into uh, kudos for him and congratulations in order for uh, for becoming the second youngest general manager in leaf history uh, next to gord stelic who was basically a puppet of harold ballard's this is not that circumstance this is a guy who's earned earned the role and i think he's going to thrive and flourish in the next few years i think the future is very bright for my favorite hockey team and maybe i'll be the one that's talking about two stanley cups someday soon i hope <laughs> i can't believe uh, uh that it's, it's a possibility i've waited so long but uh, it's getting closer i think leaf fans so hang in there and uh, while the leaf fans do hang in there we're going to turn our attention to the remaining four teams now we get to dig in and and look at the two remaining series uh you know there's some great storylines uh, in all four teams the Winnipeg Jets, Canada's team now against Las Vegas, the the Cinderella team all season long. This is a wonderful-looking uh, setup. Uh, the speed of the Vegas Knights against the physicality and the speed of the Winnipeg Jets. The season series was won by Win- Vegas with two wins in the three games. AJ, let's look at the goaltending in this series and try not to drool too much when you talk about the <laughs> Vegas guy. Well, I mean, this is actually like a really close uh, kind of coin flip situation here with these netminders. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Flurry's numbers, like I said before, 0.951 save percentage. Hellier Buck's not far behind at 0.927. Uh, both, uh, you know, both have uh, Hellier Buck's got two shutouts. Flurry has four. Uh, I think the deciding kind of X factor for me in this is going to be the experience. You've got a three time uh, Stanley Cup champion in Flurry who's been around the league for a very long time uh, versus a youngster who's still kind of cutting his teeth, getting his first postseason uh, experience. And so for me, I give the edge to the Golden Knights uh, based out of experience and performance so far in this postseason. Um, but I do think it's closer than than maybe some people might think. Uh, you know, the, the Jets kind of get under uh, underappreciated, uh, I feel like, because you know, Winnipeg is, is kind of in the middle of Canada. Uh, it's not by either coast. So it's not by either major, uh, a lot of major markets, uh, you know, much like in a lot of cases, the Midwest in, in the, the U S here. And so I think they get overlooked to be totally honest with you. And I think a lot of people don't really appreciate how good kind of hell season went. I think they've been surprised, uh, to see him perform so well in the postseason. I certainly haven't been, I've noticed him all season long. And so it's, it's closer than some people might think, but I think Marc-Andre Fleury stands out for me. Well, I'm going to look at the most recent game logs and say that I'm going to give the edge a little bit now in terms of how they're playing heading into this series. I'm going to give the edge to Hellebuck because he had more 40-shot save performances in the last round, and his numbers weren't as skewed as as, uh, Fleury's, I'll say. Fleury allowed at least three goals in four of his last five games. I wonder if he's getting a little bit tired, but that week off certainly should take care of that, AJ, if that's a factor. And uh, they'll, they'll be riding the wave of... Uh, this team will be riding the wave following behind their uh, acknowledged leader Uh, this guy was the signature player when they drafted this team and he's lived up to everything that that they could have expected whereas Hellebuck didn't start the season as the number one guy even in Winnipeg if you'll recall Steve Mason came out of the shoot and was shelled opening night by the Maple Leafs in a 7-2 loss and then right after that Hellebuck took over 
and he never gave the job back. So uh, I'll credit my Maple Leafs uh, in part. I, I'm going to mention the Leafs every chance I get, Adrian. I've got to. <laughs> but uh, it really shaped the season for, for Winnipeg. And one of my early calls was that Hellebuck would emerge as the next big thing in goal in the Western Conference. And I was right on the money in that one, too. And uh, the guy's been a horse all year long. Big mobile goalie uh he's got a big size advantage over flurry but and kind of indicative of a lot of teams that have gone in that direction but you gotta tip i gotta tip my hat to the former pittsburgh uh, netminder he's been outstanding in every way shape or form i'll also remind you that i have a good buddy who works in in uh with a lot of nhl players and he says by far his favorite to deal with is mark andre flurry just a really personable guy happy go lucky guy but when he gets on the ice, he has a high motor, and uh, really the rest of the team did feed off this. So we got two outstanding netminders in this series. That gonna, we're going to watch them go head-to-head. How about breaking down the defense for us? Well, I think it's it's kind of the tale of two cities here, really. Um, you've got the the relatively unknown, uh, you know, kind of guys that have stepped up into bigger roles uh, on this new Vegas club. Uh, we've talked about that all season long. They're really an unheralded group, um, but they perform their job admirably. They do what's expected of them uh, and kind of just go out and get it done. I think it fits really well uh, with this, uh, you know, golden misfits kind of characterization that they've had. Uh, Colin Miller had 41 points this year. Uh, that's, you know, a significantly uh, as their leading scorer. And, you know, he had a a pretty good season compared to past years. Uh, You you know, you look at actually a phenomenal season compared to past years. You look at his last year in Boston, he only had 13 points. Uh, Again, more more ice time, more responsibility in in Vegas. And I think a lot of guys are really thriving on that. Um, But on the flip side, you know, you look at the the defense here for uh, the Jets, they've got the, all the names, right? They've got Jakob Truba, they've got Dustin Bufflin, uh, even, you know, Tyler Myers, uh, Toby Enstrom. These are guys that have really, they're high, much more high profile, profile names. Uh, and overall though, I think their performance has been about, about equal. Um, Bufflin will lead the way scoring wise. Uh, they'll use guys like, you know, uh, the youngster Josh Morrissey to kind of shore up defensively. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, heralded versus unheralded, but at the end of the day, they're pretty evenly matched. Uh, I'm actually going to give that slight edge to, to the, uh, the jets here as well, just because they do have the more offensively minded Dustin Bufflin. He's got 13 points in the playoffs. You know, you compare that to, uh, Nate Schmidt, who's the leader, uh, for the, the golden Knights at just five. So they can add a little bit more of that offensive game from their blue line. Yeah. I think your read is very accurate. I will say though, that the Vegas defense kind of reminds me of what Pittsburgh got last year in the playoffs out of their relatively nondescript, uh, unit. Remember last year, they didn't have the benefit of Latang playing in the playoffs, but it didn't matter. Guys like Ron Hainsey and, and company did come through and that's what's happening in, in Vegas. You mentioned Theodore. Hey Paul, don't think I didn't notice that Ron Hainsey Maple Leafs reference there. I <laughs> caught it. I saw it. <laughs> Very good. I told you, every chance I get. But you mentioned Nate Schmidt leading the offense with Shea Theodore, tied it with only five points in the 10 games that they've played so far. But I look at the plus minus that they're logging and the minutes too. Schmidt logging almost 25 and a half minutes a game and a plus six in these playoffs. Colin Miller, I love the way this guy's played all season long. And he's really shown a two-way game in these playoffs with a plus-three record. Only three points, so the offense not quite where it's been in the regular season. But he's one of their biggest threats, the power play linchpin back there. Braden McNabb, another big physical guy with a booming shot. 23 minutes a game for him, too. And then Derek England, a guy who uh, is a Vegas native, uh, must be really enjoying this ride. He's playing upwards of 23 minutes a game, too. Hasn't scored, but again, plus-two on the back end. John Merrill, the same thing logging about 16 minutes so really getting yeoman service on the defensive side of the puck but you really highlighted the thing that separates these two teams in terms of the defensive depth i think there's much more offense that's going to come from the winnipeg side we've seen that throughout these playoffs 
and Dustin Bufflin's playing like a runaway train right now, and I don't think there's anything that, that Vegas can do to corral this guy if he brings that kind of energy and effort to the next round. Tyler Myers, another big imposing figure who uh, is not quite the offensive threat that Bufflin is, but he has been such a, a player in this past, and if he dials it up, uh, the, the Knights are really in trouble. And then we haven't even talked about Jacob Truba, a third offensive piece back there. So I really think that the two-way game is there for, for the Vegas guys, but when it comes to the offensive threat that you can add on top of uh, the defensive efficiency that we're seeing out of Winnipeg, I think you got to give a big edge to them on the blue line here. And that leaves us to the forward ranks, and uh, it's a pretty interesting thing here, AJ. I'll, I'll lead it off with a denial, my own analysis. I want to hear what your rebuttal will be. We know that the Vegas group is a four-line team. I'll break down the Winnipeg side a little bit deeper and say that that first line with Mark Shifley, he's another Conn Smythe Trophy candidate in my opinion, just playing superb two-way hockey. And he made the, point, the statement at the beginning of the season he wanted to be considered among the top centers in hockey. He's reached that echelon, uh, in my opinion. An outstanding season, partnered with Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor on that top line. Kyle Connor has really earned his stripes uh, uh, when there, there was some doubt about who would fill out that top unit. He's done it with great style and skill and uh, allowed Patrick Laine to play with his buddy Nikolai Ehlers on the second unit, but there bolstered by the fact that Paul Stastny's had an outstanding playoff. And when you look at the trade deadline deals, this guy seems to me to be the best acquisition that anybody made, really fortifying things and allowing the Jets the luxury of putting Brian Little into a third-line role. It wasn't so long ago that Little was the first-line center here. So that's the kind of quality they have up the middle of the ice and allows them to, to put a third-scoring unit together with Brandon Tanev and Matthew Perot. And then even the fourth unit is just tons more of size with Adam Lowry, Joel Armia, Andrew Kopp just grinding people to a pulp if they're allowed to play their 10 minutes a game. That's what they're out there for. And so a formidable offense here on the Winnipeg side. Uh, you can make a quick comment there, but I also want you to break down the, the Vegas group for us. Well, I think the the difference here, it, you know, you mentioned Peralt. Uh, he has only played four games so far in the postseason dealing with an injury. Now they've got him healthy. Yep. Uh, I think that's going to help Brian Little, whose numbers have been down. He was a game-time decision a couple, uh, a couple outings, so he's dealing with some injuries as well. But, yeah, you said it. That first line uh, has been phenomenal all season long. Kyle Connor really has stepped into his role very well uh, as a rookie and has really paired up. You watch some of these goals where he's, uh, you know, getting the puck to Shifley or Wheeler. Um, they've really paired up well. They seem to know where the other guy is on the ice just instinctively without necessarily having to look. So, yeah, I agree with everything that you said about this team's forward combination. Um, you know, the, the Golden Knights uh, have a little bit of a different look. They're not as uh, scoring heavy all the way through. Um, they do have guys here. I think Lindbergh, Eakin, and Tuke on that third line can, can pair really well. But you get down to this fourth line, this is more of a physical group, uh, and that's what they're going to need out of them to, to really bring it home. You got Ryan Reeves, Pierre Edouard, Belmar, and Ryan Carpenter. These are generally more physical players uh, who are going to dish out some hits. And I think that's going to be really helpful, the fact that, you know, the the goal, uh, the the Jets are coming into game one just two days after their game seven series. Uh, and so if they can get on those guys right away and kind of dish out some hits, wear them down. William Carrier's dealing with an injury. He would be another X factor here. The only question I have is why Thomas Tatar uh, isn't getting a shot in the lineup here. I, I know he didn't necessarily perform as well as he could have this season. Uh, nowhere near the 46 points he put up in 16-17 with Detroit. Just six uh, in the in the regular season with 20 games. But for everything they gave up to get this guy, I, I it really surprises me that they're not giving him a shot somewhere. But again, if they want that physical fourth line, Thomas Tatar's game doesn't really suit to that. Uh, maybe he would flip in for Oscar Lindbergh, but you're certainly not taking Alex Tuke out of the out of the lineup to put him in there. Um, so, but don't be surprised to see Lindbergh get uh, get swapped out here at some point to at least give Thomas Tatar a look. Uh, but for me, overall, uh, this one goes to the Jets as well. Uh, those top two lines are just too good, too uh, strong, and I think they've got a little bit more scoring depth. The only question mark 
is going to be how worn down they are. Yeah, and that's a great point in terms of breaking down the eventual outcome. We got the fact that the Knights are a well-rested team. They'll start the series on the road in Winnipeg. So really a lot of pressure on the home side to get going early in this series. Can you imagine if they fall, they split even in the first two games? That's a heck of a win for Vegas heading home to that rabid fan base. And they're both rabid fan bases, the way they receive their clubs and their respective rinks. So it's going to be a fabulous atmosphere. But I think if Winnipeg can hold serve, they will emerge victorious in this series. I think that this series will be decided very early on. I'm taking the Jets in six games here, AJ. Look, I want to disagree with you. I want to give another take uh, just so our listeners don't hear the same thing twice. But, uh, you know, going into today, I, you know, I kind of thought, well, you know, Vegas has been so good. I'm going to stick with Vegas. I'm going to pick them. But as we've done this breakdown, uh, every single category seems to favor, uh, you know, except for, in my opinion, except for the goaltending. But other than that, it seems like every other category for me favors uh, the the Jets and I agree I don't see this going to seven games I, I absolutely agree with that pick Jets and six is what I'm taking as well okay and let's go over to the west the eastern conference where the Tampa Lightning another team that's well rested they're kind of the Vegas team in that setup and Washington uh, kind of uh, in the Winnipeg role in this series to open it up on the regular season, Tampa won two of three games. You know, we, we throw the, this information out, but it really does. You can throw it right back out the window uh, in terms <laughs> of the regular season to now. It's a whole different thing. Lineups have been morphing all season long, and uh, playoff momentum also a factor into the success for Washington. They must be on a super high with what just happened in their most recent series, finally slaying the Lion. And uh, in terms of breaking down the goaltending, well, you know what? It was an iffy situation in Washington at the beginning of this playoffs, and it has been a little bit of a bumpy ride for Braden Holtby, but here he is in the third round for the first time in his career, and I've always been a Braden Holtby fan, so I'm really excited for him to make it this far. Everybody's talking about Alex Ovechkin in this regard, but I feel even stronger about the netminder because this is a guy that emerged a few seasons ago and just been delivering the goods in regular season after regular season and finally having some playoff success albeit in a bit of a bumpy ride and so that's on one side of the equation and then you got Andre Vasilevsky we talked about the fact that over the first half of the season this guy was head and shoulders the best goalie in hockey but uh, a, a sluggish second half brought him back to the pack and then uh, he had a bit of an iffy first round uh, in my opinion but the second round really buttoned things down and uh, is playing at that first half of season level and that's big trouble for Washington if he continues to do so because uh, if you look at their bodies of work it's very even in my opinion uh, over the last couple of seasons but and so I really have trouble finding an edge here one way or the other AJ I don't know maybe you could be the tiebreaker for me no, I agree with you. This one's really close. Um, you know, uh, historically, if you could get into Holpe's face and kind of mess with his head a little bit, he was beatable. Um, obviously, nobody does that better than Patrick Hornquist. And so uh, he was able to power through that, shake that off, and not really let that affect him this year. And so uh, that's that's a dangerous situation for a lot of other teams when you have Holpe really kind of turning the tide on um, what has been kind of his Achilles heel, that that temperament when when he has guys in his face all game long. Uh, on the flip side, Vasilevsky is kind of, you know, he's one of these big, as you talked about before, one of these big kind of new era goalies. They're big, they can move, and it, it they rely more on positioning uh, a la like, you know, you look at like Matt Murray's kind of the same way, Hellebuck's this way as well big positionally sound net miners as opposed to guys like Marc-Andre Fleury. I uh, think Dominic Hasek from back in the day, these are athletic kind of, uh, you know, showstopper saves that they make uh, not always in the best position. Uh, and hope he kind of falls in between. I feel like, you know, sometimes his positioning is a little questionable and he relies on his athleticism, but I, at other times he's one of the best positionally sound. So uh, for me, it's a toss up between these two. Uh, you ask me right now if I had to pick one, I'd give Hopi the edge. You ask me in an hour, I might give it to Vasilevsky. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a little more cut and dry when we talk about the blue lines, and I'll make my own case wondering if you'll agree. Hey, I'll begin with the look on the Tampa side. 
I think they have the best defenseman uh, in hockey right now uh, on the season. Uh, the guy who would get my vote for the Norris is Victor Hedman. Uh, I just love the way this guy plays the game. He's got an imposing figure, kind of like Sedano Chara, but he has all the offensive skill in the world as well and plays a mean game too. So really everything you want in a signature defensive piece and offensively, he's supported by Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, I almost said Gorbachev. Did you see that, <laughs> that the, the Russian Prime Minister Putin fi- scored five goals in a game last, last week, too? <laughs> so maybe they can call him up. <laughs> but uh, Hedman certainly head and shoulders here above the class in, in uh, this lineup for, for Tampa. Mikhail Sergachev, a guy that's going to be right there with him down the road, but really getting valuable experience in these playoffs. Anton Strahlman, a great puck mover. And then they've got uh, McDonough and Girardi, two of the best shutdown defensemen in all of hockey, uh, rounding out this squad. Braden Coburn, kind of a big placeholder type guy in the sixth spot. But they also have a, a few guys in reserve that they used all season long and Suster, Dotchin, and Cuckoo. So uh, a lot of depth on the blue line, but a lot of star power and really good shutdown capabilities here on their side of the equation. On the Washington side, they got their own all-star caliber defenseman leading the pack there. And so you can't discount the fact that, that uh, is it Carlson uh, that uh, deserves a look in that regard too. Although on a regular season, he had a flat plus minus, AJ, despite having almost 65 points to his record. So that was a bit of alarming for me when I when I saw that. But he's played very, very well, upped his game overall in, on both sides of the ice in these playoffs. But behind him, there's Matt Niskanen, a very underrated offensive piece there, and Dmitry Orlov as well. They're the first pairing on the blue line. But after that, there's a big drop-off for me in terms of Michael Kempney, Christian Jews, and Brooks Orpik. And not a lot of depth behind them in Yerabek and Bowie. So I give a big advantage to the Tampa team in this particular setup. I'm actually going to go the other way on this one. And, and I'm taking regular season out of the equation. Victor Hedman has been one of the best uh, you know, defensemen in the league for a very long time. Is always up near that elite level of guys. Um, but you look at the postseason right now, neither he nor Ryan McDonough has any goals uh, at this point. Now they are combined for 11 points between the two of them, all assists, as I said. The other thing uh, that concerns me a little is uh, on the power play. You've got Hedman with just two power play points, both assists. You've got Mikhail Sergeyev with uh, three, one of those being a goal. Uh, you look at the other side here for the Capitals. Orlov, or uh, I'm sorry, Carlson has three goals himself, a total of 11 points with 10 of those coming on the power play now after there their power play scoring gets a little thin but at even strength uh you've got orlov at six niskanen at four and orpic at three uh and so let me tell you as a guy who watched brooks orpic with the penguins for a long time this is not somebody who normally scores a lot here Uh, and so the fact that he's got three assists uh through 12 games is is pretty good for them I just think you're getting more help in the offensive zone. And that's not to say that, you know, these guys aren't defensively minded as well. Uh, Orpik's a plus nine uh, for the postseason here. Carlson plus four. You mentioned again, you know, regular season struggles and to be plus four with, you know, 11 points, but 10 of those came on the power play. So let's not forget those technically don't count as pluses for you. Uh, And so it's slightly less of a concern for me, the fact that a lot of his points come with the man advantage. So uh, I'm actually going to go with Washington getting the edge here. Okay, so you give them a big check mark. Okay, that, that opens the door to some questions about maybe we'll be differing in terms of our final, uh, final pick here. Let's see how you break down the offenses. I'm going to say I said my piece with the Tampa offense. Uh, they got two outstanding top two lines. And then the third line has really emerged. Anthony Sorelli, kind of one of the playoff stories here in terms of a guy that's really come from nowhere to factor in and hold down that third line center role between Killorn and Gourd. Gourd is another one of those young guys like Braden Point who emerged during the course of the regular season. So he's not as much of a surprise in these playoffs. And you mentioned the veterans that they put out on the fourth line, Kunitz and Callahan. That's a real deep Tampa situation over here. On the Washington side, of course, they've got the top line, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Wilson still holding the fort there on the right wing. Uh, That's been a questionable call all season long, but hey, when you're one of the final four teams, maybe that question's been answered, AJ. And then uh, you look at what uh, TJ Oshie has meant to this team uh, on uh, on the ice and off the ice, I'll say, one of the team leaders. They've got an issue with Ralph, uh, Nicholas Backstrom. I almost said Ralph Backstrom. That's a 
a guy from the <laughs> 60s. But Nicholas Backstrom, uh, a guy who's nursing injury issues, uh, Andre Burakovsky might be back in the lineup too. So they could be uh, the nucleus of a second scoring line. I don't like the fact that they go into this series already nicked up in terms of the forward depth here. And you talked about guys like Chandler, Chandler Stevenson who've upped their game too. But I think that there's just too much of a uh, depth on the Washington side, uh, the Tampa side rather, to say that they don't get the check mark. They certainly do for me. Uh, I wonder how you break them down. No, I absolutely agree. I, I give the edge here uh, to Tampa Bay. And in and, and large part, uh, you know, I talked about some of the experienced guys uh, and they're, they're just deeper top to bottom through the lineup. Yes, some of those younger guys did uh, step up. Uh, and more depth guys did step up. I mean, I didn't even mention Devante Smith Pelly, whose game is not that of an, an of an offensive producer, um, but even he has has two goals and an assist in the point of season. But I just don't see it holding up through another round. Um, I, you know, the depth has been a concern for this team all year long, and I think it will continue to be. Now, obviously, that's going to be the X factor. It's how they got past Pittsburgh. Um, but you can't uh, you can't rule out uh, extra games as well. You know, you talk it's two additional games for Washington. Uh, and so that's going to carry into tonight um, and coming off an emotional win over Pittsburgh. Yes, that could maybe motivate you, but it could also take a lot out of you. Uh, game seven overtime uh, is is a big ask. And so I, I think fatigue is going to be a factor. Um, and overall depth, I, I give a big edge uh, to the Lightning in this one. All right. How do you break down this series then? Let's start with your picks. All right. So overall, I am going to go Lightning. I think it'll be a seven-game series. I know they haven't really uh, gone that far uh, with any team so far. They've been able to shut it down early, uh, which is going to help them be you know, rested and ready to go. Uh, as you mentioned, Backstrom, Burakovsky coming back, but also coming back from injuries. And are they coming back at 100 percent or are they coming back closer to 80 or 75 percent? That's a big question here. And so for all of those reasons, the fact that Veseleski seems to have gotten uh, his head right heading into the postseason uh, and is performing really well right now, I am going to give the edge to the Lightning in seven games. Okay, well, I, I, uh, I'm going to say that Tampa really has an advantage, uh, like you said, in two of the three positions. And I also think they have a big advantage from the fact that they come into this relatively fresh compared to the Caps. And maybe the, the Caps won their Stanley Cup already, AJ. I think there could be a bit of a letdown here. And so I'm, I'm calling the Lightning to be a little bit quicker in terms of the decisiveness of this outcome. I think if they get the first two games at home, the, there's a very good chance that they will, in fact, uh, grab this one tonight. And if they could ever get a 2 nothing lead early on, it might just take the wind out of the cap sails and make this potentially a short series. But I'm going to give the Lightning the nod in six. So we agree in terms of our picks, and uh, we differ only in the, in the number of games here in this particular set. So we're in sync as we close, uh, close in on the, the final two teams at, at the end of the day. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we go off the air? I mean, we got Brad Marchand still in the news. We <laughs> don't have a rant of the week. This guy could be the rant of the week subject every week for me, AJ. But he's promised that he would be a good boy going forward and clean up his act. However, the day after he got eliminated, he goes and puts a, an emoji of a guy blowing a kiss on Twitter. So I'll believe that uh, this leopard won't change his spots uh, I wonder what we can expect from him next season. But also, if uh, if there's anything you want to say about any of these four teams or any topic at all before we sign off, the floor is yours. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I have to highlight as much as I think the Jets are going to win in six. Um, I, I really think that, uh, you know, Vegas is, is such a great storyline this year. Um, and everything that they've built and done, I will certainly be cheering for them. Uh, you know, I, I have obviously stated my 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 affections, <laughs> as it were, for Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, I think, as you highlighted, he's not only one Man of the crush. best goalies. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> You'll get no argument here. Um, he's not only one of the best goalies in the league. He is one of the best people in the league. And really, you know, a strong contrast to Brad Marchant, who we've you know been talking about. Uh, as far as the emoji thing goes, I, I think that's good marketing on his part for his own brand. Uh, you know, he also had, uh, you know, he had uh, the uh, Canadians put out a tweet about, you know, when you get to the offseason, don't lick golf balls or whatever. Uh, and then he responded with, uh, 
you know, something about throwing shade for a team that got eliminated in October uh, as his (laughs) comment back. And and as much as I don't like Brad Marchand, I think he's doing some interesting things on Twitter that are actually going to only help him uh, maybe increase a little bit of likability, a little bit of marketability. Uh, And so I can't begrudge him that. Uh, But overall, it's been a great postseason despite my Penguins losing. Uh, I'm still interested in all the storylines. You know, as other fans out there can certainly attest to, once your team gets eliminated, sometimes it's hard to care anymore. That's right. Um, That's but right. Uh, certainly some good matchups. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to to the Stanley Cup as long as Washington's not in it. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what the next round brings. And you know what? I gotta say before I close out, there's people that have talked to me in my media circles that say, "Oh, you you ripped the Tampa Lightning," saying, "Oh, how are they going to get past?" their salary issues. I mean, those people have clearly not paid attention to our show all season long because I said early on, uh, Steve Eisman deserves credit uh, for an outstanding general manager job for navigating those those waters. And the fact that he got Steven Stamkos to sign that team-friendly deal certainly paved the way for him to get all the other guys, all the other ducks lined up in a row and keep the salary structure in order so they could make themselves such a great team. So I think Stamkos gets a lot of credit also for for giving them kind of the quasi hometown home team discount and allowing them to take on some extra players at the deadline that have really rounded out the squad. It's a team without a weakness. And uh, uh, the other half of my Stanley Cup prediction at the beginning of the season was the Tampa Lightning. So I didn't have them winning the cup. I had them making the finals. And at least I got one horse left in the race for my preseason picks. So I feel pretty good about that. But you got some great storylines with each of the other three teams. Ovechkin's maiden voyage into a third round. The Vegas story, which is a compelling thing. The whiteout in Winnipeg. This team uh, came from nowhere, but basically uh, plays a game that I love in terms of the physicality and the size and speed all wrapped up into one. So uh, there's something to like about each of the four remaining teams and compelling reasons to watch the rest of these playoffs. And I certainly be glued to all the games. AJ. So that wraps it up for this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back at the end of this round to give you our Stanley Cup final breakdown in much the same way that we've done all the other playoff shows. But we also want to meld that with a review of the trophy winners that we'll project and maybe a, a, a short look at the upcoming draft and, and the free agent landscape or other shows that you can look forward to down the road. So we're not done here at podcast and we hope we st- you stick with us and uh, we'll wish that you return to us to get the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition as always in our in your fantasy contests so long everybody